Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I've tried to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other and maybe even you into liking what we like. This episode, it's Roma. My name's Dan, and the few times I've been unemployed, I accidentally became nocturnal. My name is Jeff, and I've seen Weird Al Yankovic 14 times. My name is Jimmy, and I pushed a drunk friend up a bunk bed. <laughs> wow, that seems like a lot of dead weight to just like... Lift. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> we were we were in New York City and uh, we were staying in a hotel that featured a bunk bed. The pod? Uh, no, it was not the pod. <sighs> um, it was uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, we were up in the uh, rooftop lounge and, you know, we were having a good time. Also, another fun fact with that, we had about two hundred dollars worth of drinks between the two of us and we only paid about thirty dollars because the that's the, because uh, you're attractive young women. That's right. And you bring in clientele. Damn straight. So uh, after we were going back to the room, my buddy Nick was struggling to get up the bunk bed. So I tried pushing him up and we just ended up laughing. And he stayed there for quite a while. It was fun. Did Drink alcohol, it, kids. Did he make it up the bunk bed? Oh, he made it up there. I was quite afraid he was going to puke on me because he was up there and I was below. One of the uh, the bachelor pads that I, I lived at as a, a youth uh, one of our friends, same thing, got very drunk in our living room. We had a bunk bed with a futon on the bottom because that's what you do when you're 21. That's and what Dan had. And um, he climbed, he somehow climbed up to the top, but he kept trying to get up and he was almost falling off being drunk. So we had a door that wasn't connected to a doorway and we put it on top of him and then tied the <laughs> rope around it. So he was like, he can move, but it wasn't strong enough to get the door off. So he was just like drunkenly mumbling about how angry he was that he was stuck. <laughs> but we we saved him. That's good. We protected him from falling to his untimely death. That's good. Nice. Jeff, do we have any uh, reviews, ratings, emails, any of that stuff? Nope. Should we? Yes, we should. How can people amend that? Contacting us via email talk me into at gmail.com you can tweet at us at talk me into hit us up on facebook which i assume one of you is monitoring sort of uh, you can leave reviews on <laughs> apple Podcasts, stitcher uh you know all the all the usual internet ways subscribe so you never miss an episode yeah This is the part of the show where we're talking ourselves into things. It could be any little fun thing. This week, I am talking myself into and successfully and completed Ricky Gervais' show, Afterlife. Oh, yeah. I watched that in one sitting. Yeah, same here. A couple hours long. It was like six six episodes, I think. It's and, pretty uh, good. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It, uh, it deals with some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, he is a recent widow. To a wife who uh, had terminal cancer and she passed away and 
left him some video messages about what he should be doing. And uh, it's about his struggle through um, depression after he's gone. And uh, he is often talking about how it would just be easier to kill himself. And uh, we all know that life is worth living and he shouldn't be doing that. And uh, it's about his personal journey. And it's pretty good. It's got that Ricky Gervais comedy to it. Yeah, Ricky Gervais does this thing where he does something funny. He disappears. He comes back without warning. He does something <laughs> extremely emotional that's also simultaneously hilarious. Yep. And then he disappears and then he does it again yep. on repeat, i.e. Derek. Yep. Derek was very good, too. Yes. Yeah. So I talked myself into watching it, and I was like, that was pretty good. Going to talk about it on the podcast. Might have to check that out. Yeah. Dan, what are you talking yourself into this week? I'm talking myself into supporting local businesses. I like it. So uh, as many of you know, well, many being you two, um, <laughs> I work at a small community bank in the town that I live in, that I grew up in. And, uh, you know, as a youth, as Jeff has mentioned in previous episodes, we were young and angry punk rock children. And uh, I thought, this town sucks. I can't wait to get out of here. Then I realized there's there's things about this town that I like. It's small. Hmm. It reminds me of my youth. It reminds me of my family. So I figured instead of trying to abandon it and, you know, just give up, maybe I could do some things to make it better. So the easiest way to do that is by your patronage, your money. So a few businesses have opened recently in our downtown area, and it's starting to feel like maybe the downtown is coming back. And it's, you know, young entrepreneurs with forward-thinking businesses, so I've decided to give them some money. I got tattooed at a tattoo shop that's right across the street from where I work. There's a new coffee shop opening that I'm going to be going into. There's a little cafe that has coffee and salads and stuff like that. So I, I, I want to give back. I like it. I That's like great. this town. I hope they could uh, overcome the Naugatuck curse. You think it's a curse? Well, I mean, a lot of businesses close in this town. I hope yeah. that they overcome. It's starting It's starting new, Jeff. That's why I'm saying I hope that they do not succumb to what I have seen in we the We don't past. have room for hope, Jeff. We have faith. Gotta have faith. I guess it would faith. be nice. Yeah. Jeff, what are you talking to yourself into this week? Poop shoes. What? Let me explain to you <laughs> what poop shoes are. I'm sure you already know, but maybe you haven't heard the term, which I'm sure I didn't coin, but I've been saying. Um, at work, we have a we have two bathrooms. Uh, the bulk of the business and the people that work there are on the second floor. There's a few stragglers downstairs. Each floor has its own bathroom. Each bathroom has two urinals and three stalls. If I have to go to the, use a stall... I go downstairs because it's less frequented. It's a little more private. You can go about your business uh, relatively left alone. If there's an emergency, however, and I can't make it from the second floor to the first floor, I go to the second floor, which I am closer to. Now, my business is uh, the, the attire is very casual. You don't have to wear like nice, fancy shoes. You can just be comfortable or what you want. And I, for the last dozen years, have only worn Adidas Sambas. They are black shoes with three white stripes, and you're every, wearing them now. I'm wearing them now. Sometimes, nice. if they're on sale at the outlets, I'll get white with black stripes. Ooh! But that's Classic. it. I know what size I am. I'll buy them online, not even try them on, and it's great. When they're worn out, I'll just buy a new pair and use my old pair as gym shoes. But since everybody knows I wear the shoes, they know when I'm going to the bathroom, 
And that's not a problem <laughs> because you see me walk in, you see me walk out, people use the bathroom. But when they start to talk about work while I am in the middle of my throws, I don't like that. Like if I'm yeah. on lunch, I don't want to hear about numbers. I want to eat my sandwich and then talk about numbers later on. Mm -hmm. So it's just problematic when I'm like, hmm, I don't want to talk about this right now. I don't want to talk about the meeting that we're going to have. Or on the other side of things, uh, somebody else at work also started wearing Sambas. So now whenever he sees me, he walks in the bathroom. He's like, nice shoes, which is funny to me. <laughs> so I laugh. But like, I don't want to have to laugh with my pants on my ankle. Yeah. While they're while I'm exposed. So I think that I want to get several pairs of shoes, maybe cheap, maybe old, maybe get them at Goodwill and keep them at my desk. And when I have to use the bathroom, I switch shoes. And then I can go in there and nobody will talk to me because nobody talks to anybody else because people wear different shoes all the time or they're not as identifiable. I just want to go to the bathroom anonymously, get done with it and get back to my day. I'm exhausted by that. It's just the idea of you changing shoes to use the bathroom. I haven't done it yet, but I want to. And it also crosses another one off my list, which is wear not Adidas Sambas. So I need to I need to do both of these things in order to make my list smaller. Stay tuned for the next episode of Talk Me Into, where we talk Jeff into therapy. Heavy, heavy therapy. Okay, guys, so this week, I chose a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It's something I really like, and I'm hoping that you'll like it as well. It's a movie mm. from last year, 2018, mm. that was a critical darling, mm. made exclusively for Netflix, exclusively. If oh, I before you said the Netflix thing, I was going to say Pacific Rim Uprising. But... Yes, you're so close. You're right there. Fantastic film, though. It's Roma. I was close. The black and white dramatic film from director Alfonso Cuaron. You guys heard of it? I've heard I've, of it. I've heard of the movie. Neither of you have seen it, right? I have not because I wanted to immediately when it was released, but it came out right when we started this podcast and it has been on the list ever since. So I have been waiting mm -hmm. anxiously to watch this film. Me so, too. So I did see it. I, I waited a little while because I was trying to find a place to see it on the big screen because I heard the presentation was beautiful. Uh, wasn't able to do that. Um, they only played in, I guess, pretty much New York and they Los Angeles. They just wanted to get a Grammy. A Oscar. Grammy. Yeah, for the music in yeah. it. I heard it's phenomenal. Yeah. There's mariachi bands. You're so is close. There, is this in Mexico? You're so close on this episode. Uh, so Roma... Roma is the story of an indigenous housemaid to an upper-middle-class family living in Mexico City in the early 1970s. So the film is shot in beautiful, lavish black and white, like old, old cinema, classic, just gorgeous vistas of the Mexican horizon. And was it shot in black and white or it was converted? shot in black and oh. white? Um, it was, as I said, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. He also produced it. He wrote it. Um, he was a cinematographer. He was the editor. He did uh, Children of Men, right? He did Children of Men. Fantastic movie. Yeah. He's done a few things. He did uh, Gravity, which was critically acclaimed. Um, it's a very personal story for him. A lot of it is reflected from his own childhood and his upbringing, up, upbringing and relationship with his own uh, nanny slash maid. Um, so it deals with a lot of the, uh, like 
I guess you could call like the dichotomy between this family and their uh, people who work for them, but are so interconnected with their family life that they're practically like loved ones. It's this weird relationship they have. Um, it's all set against the backdrop of political upheaval during this time in Mex- Mexico City. Um, like I said, it's a very personal story. It's not. It's not a fast-paced action thriller. Jimmy, I think you'll respect the way that it was shot. The cinematography is gorgeous. It's so lush and it just like leaps off the screen. I encourage you to see it on the best, biggest TV you can watch it on. I'll try. (laughs) Jeff, I think you'll like it because you're a fan of good film. You can tell a good story when when you see it. Yeah, I would say that uh, the things I like are better than the things most people like. Yeah, you can say that. So sure if you believe that it's true um as this podcast it's extremely emotional one yeah it's very emotional it's very well written uh it's heartbreaking um oh like animorphs number two yeah have you seen itumama tembien uh crow's age ago yeah so that's the same writer director and if you like that i think you'll like that it's a more personal story than some of his more recent films just like that film was uh so I encourage you to watch it. It is available on Netflix. It was produced for Netflix. Um, It was nominated for a bunch of awards. Yeah. uh, Thank you, Jimmy. I forgot to mention that. You're welcome. At the Oscars, 91st Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. And it became the first Mexican entry to win Best Foreign Language Film it also won for Best Cinematography and Best Director. Um, it was the first foreign language film to win Best Director. Nice. So it's a good movie. I've heard some mixed reviews from some critics, but overall... When I watch a movie, I don't want to read a book. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is subtitled. Where's the colors? But it's so good that you, you lose track of that after a few minutes. It's very... Uh, it's very emotionally dense, I would say. Okay. And also, um, yeah, Jimmy, keep an eye on like some of the visual themes. Okay. There's some cool stuff that comes up um, and some parallels to what's happening and the way the shot is composed. I will. Sounds good. So when we come back, we will all have watched Roma, and we will be discussing it and spoiling it. And I encourage you to watch it. It's not a huge commitment. It's one movie. We'll find out if Jeff and Jimmy liked it when we come back. Welcome back to Talk Me Into. It's been several seconds since you heard our voices, but only a week. You're still sticking with that joke, huh? Yeah. I'm still going with it. It's my thing. Ride or die. Since we have discussed Roma, Roma, the film that was released on Netflix streaming services. Yeah. What'd you guys think? Did you watch it? <laughs> Were we talked into it? I don't know. Did you watch it? Yeah. Oh, sure. oh, I yeah. did. I did. Did you guys watch it? Hold on. We'll wait again. Yeah. Oh, they did. Yeah. Everybody watched it. Everybody watched Let it. Let us dive into this movie. Yeah. yeah. So this was a movie that took place in 1970s Mexico City. And uh, we we follow a, a maid slash house servants or i don't know what the proper title was jimmy did you know what her name was cleo how early on did they say that i don't know it's in there i was very confused i wrote 
Manita is her name. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. Because, like, they didn't say their names right away. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Cleo is short for, according to Wikipedia, Cleo Degaria. Well, I, I got to that later. Um, But, uh, yeah, so the movie starts out, and it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron. 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 Yep. yep. And uh, classic movie feel. It's in black and white, so it already feels classic, and the credits start. Yeah, the, the opening like title that. credits are pretty cool. It's just just a nice little touch i love the cinematography of that scene of the water washing over the tile yeah, it was great yeah. and at the end you see the reflection of the sky yep. and the plane flying oh, mm-hmm. it was very very well done i really liked it it was wonderfully directed mm-hmm. uh I, I really like the cinematography too in the very beginning when she's going through the house and it's kind of um the camera is panning left yeah. and right and then every even though the the camera cuts it still goes in that direction too which is very good yeah um very good editing so you guys want to get a little bit into the plot here? Jeff started to talk about Cleo, the the protagonist. Yeah, they do, they do a really good job of not not telling you what's going on, but just showing you. They show you that she is this uh, a doctor has a family with a wife and four children, and she is one of two, I believe. Yep, uh, caretakers, mm-hmm. and they do a really good job to show that not only does she obviously take her job seriously, and she does everything. Her shift is when she's awake. Like as soon as she wakes up, she's yep doing stuff till the end of the day, putting the kids down. But she she's not just an employee. She's she gets along with part the kids. Of the family, she's like, basically. yeah, she's basically part of the family, and she has a good relationship with the kids. And she jokes around with them. Mm-hmm. She's playful with them. But she's also you know making sure that they're safe. But she's she's not overstepping her role in the family. There's a scene where the family eventually is watching TV. And she's like, in the, they're all laughing and she's just in the background kind of tidying up, but she has a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's kind of sad because it's like, she's part of the family, but, but she's still really. on the outskirts. Yeah. Well, we should also mention she's a live-in maid. She lives in like yes, a small, yeah. her and the other um, maid live like in a, a guest small house. like guest house well, out back. A guest house that they're not allowed to have a light on. Yeah. Because it's too yeah. expensive. Very maid, weird. Maid quarters. It's very, it's very strange. So before we move on to the plot, one thing right. I wanted to bring up early here with you guys is... Did you pick up even in these early scenes on the theme of class segregation? Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's, that's kind of what, what Jeff was going right. off of. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but even more so, there's a racial component because um, she's indigenous, right? Yeah, she, her and the other maid are both indigenous, and the family is like Euro Spanish. Yeah, the, the subtitles in the beginning said like in brackets are going to be like indigenous Mexican. Yep, um, like what they're speaking to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. I don't know those languages, what the term is, but yeah, indigenous. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely is an underlying um, to- like theme or tone throughout the film mm-hmm. is this separation of the classes. So you guys can continue on. Uh, and then we're introduced to the the father doctor. Um, he has a really nice car and it's driving down a small alley. And that sounds like a really silly scene, um, but it was like, it was several minutes long and it was just directed so well. Mm. It was so crisp and it just, it felt claustrophobic. It felt like you were in the small alley. Well, you're referring to like their carport, right? That's attached to yeah. the house. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cause it, that comes into play later on. It does come into play later on, but just the way they directed the, the doctor driving through this, it's close up of his hands, turning the wheel. It's close ups of the mirrors of, it, it just felt like, you know, you're watching it on a screen, obviously, but it's it's a widescreen. It's 16-9 ratio, mm-hmm. I believe. And it it felt a lot smaller. He did a really good job. Yeah, at, for sure. And making you feel like you were stuck with him. This was also the first part of some weird, grotesque, grotesque imagery in this movie. He with the ca- dog dude? He rolls over the, the dog crap. 
in mm-hmm. the in the car, which kind of comes into play a little bit more into the movie. There's a lot of weird, grotesque not, imagery. Not, it doesn't come into play much further. I mean, like you kind of tell, like he gets home, and so up to this point, we see that Cleo is her and the other lady. Maybe that's Manita. I don't know. Mm. Um, their their whole entire lives are just making sure that everything is perfect for them. And the movie starts out with her cleaning up dog poop, mm-hmm. but dogs keep pooping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dogs are going to poop. And then the first thing that the doctor says to his wife is that there's dog shit everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just frustrated with her. So that can be frustrating for somebody whose entire life is just a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get that. So then you guys want to go on to once we start to get into a little bit more of the meat of the plot, we see, um, Cleo and the other maid on a day off. Um, on a double date. Yep. Yeah, we, we meet uh, Cleo's boyfriend. Furman. Uh, yeah. For, Fierman. <laughs> something like that. Yep. And um, they're... Uh, what are they... So the first time, they, they didn't go into the movie, but they were walking around the park? They were supposed to go to a movie, but they yeah, decided yeah. not to. They and decided they, to do naked, floppy ninjutsu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That was I would strange. say that that could be considered an image of the grotesque. I don't know yeah, if you want to call it grotesque, kinda... but um, focusing on things that aren't normally focused on. I thought that for 1970 in Mexico City, he manscaped pretty well. <laughs> it was it was yeah. a, a tight crop. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about the culture of that time period. <laughs> so they basically hook up and pretty soon after it's revealed that she is pregnant. Her period is late. Yeah, so that that's the time that they're actually in the movie when he reveals to her uh, about the pregnancy. Yep. In, and, yeah, in the movie theater. Yes, and in the movie theater, I love that shot. By the way, yeah, uh, that, that was my it's favorite from the back shot. Of yeah, the theater, yeah. and it was it's really well directed. This yeah. entire movie is, but there's some scenes like that. Yeah, and there's another scene later on in the movie theater. It's just shot so well, and there's there's so there's such a rich history of cinema and cinema. Um, that it just it's such a good shot because mm-hmm. usually you see it facing them but it's from behind yeah and um I then agree. he says he has to go to the bathroom after he finds out the news hmm. and then i wrote will he come back and then i wrote he will not yeah yeah he made it pretty clear that he's not interested in taking responsibility for the baby mm-hmm. so um another point i wanted to bring up shortly after this she goes to the hospital just to check to see how far along she is all that and she's in like the nursery uh, ward of the hospital and there's an earthquake and i thought it was weird i was like what's the point of this because mm. it, it like nothing dramatic happened mm-hmm. and i'm still trying to figure it out was it the show like because she was everybody was in panic and she was just kind of calm just standing there looking at a baby is that to show her that i think she's, she's so calm she i doesn't care or she's i think like, she's so, so overwhelmed with what's yeah. going on in her life that she's not affected the way everyone else is. She's sort of in a fog. Right. Because it, it, the earthquake yeah. had to mean something. I just didn't pick up on it. But there's no way. It was just an earthquake that never talked about ever. Yeah, I, that's how I kind of interpreted it, too, is that she's so focused on the having the baby that she was looking at it literally the entire time during the uh, earthquake. I also think that they do a good job um, of sort of adding a sense of, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but like instability in the world. So besides the political mm-hmm. unrest that comes up later, right. it just seems like a very unstable world that they're living in. We see yeah. in, in an upcoming scene, they go on a vacation out to the country. and For New Year's Eve? Yeah, and a forest fire erupts, and everyone's like trying to extinguish it. So to me, there's this play of 
natural instability and unnatural like man-made instability okay Mm -hmm. and it basically the way i took it is that uh cleo is like is sort of just trying to hold her ground and the world is crumbling around her Mm, i can i can definitely see that that forest fire is another instance it might be one of the best scenes visually oh shot yeah yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. the audio is just crisp and it just sounds like there's an actual fire yeah and since it's in black and white it's the flames are just pure white yeah and Mm. it's it's such a stark contrast against everything else that's going on it's just so so nice to look at i I like that this movie was shot in black and white uh normally it's kind of like and it didn't really need to be but i i feel like if this was in color it definitely wouldn't have had the same tone and effect i think it helps add gravitas to a story that could normally seem sort of um like run of the mill yeah that's true it's sort of to me adds like a heightened sense like an us ultra importance to everything that you Mm. could just look at as like a run-of-the-mill like family drama type thing i don't know if it heightened the story but it definitely heightened all the other aspects yeah i don't mean it heightened the story i mean it heightened the viewers expectations by Mm. presenting it in black and white it's almost like taking a painting that you got to will it's like prestige not have to like it Mm. but i think it sets a tone with the viewer to say this is important yeah if you take a beautiful painting and you throw it in a 299 walmart frame and stick it on a wall crooked mm-hmm. you're going to look at it different than if it's presented in a beautiful shadow box display matted and framed and i could see that um so obviously we're we're speaking very condensed right now it's a, it's an over two hour long movie yeah it's, it was um, a long one so yeah, but- one thing i'm sorry to cut you off but i wanted to backtrack because it is going to come up important in the plot in, in a moment is that um we started to get hints of not a great relationship between the husband and wife of the family he went away to a business trip came back oh yeah she was crying too yeah. when he was leaving went back out again so he was yeah said he was going to quebec for a few more weeks and then we see this family trip to the movies with Cleo, the children, and the grandmother. And that's where they bump into the father who's supposed to be in Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's on the street sort of like laughing and running around with a younger woman. Mm-hmm. And what did you guys think when you saw that? Did you predict that? Was it surprising to you? I just thought that he was away. And I thought that by him being away, it was a reason for Cleo to be more involved with the family. So I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I agree with you. That like is sort of why she was probably brought along on some of these events. Right, because why else would you need to be there on a family vacation? Maybe just help out with the kids because the father is a doctor and he's away on a business trip, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed that there was something going on with the mother and father. Um, So I, I don't know, maybe my first instinct was an affair or something to that effect. So I kind of assumed that that was going to happen. And then when I did see that, it was kind of like a confirmation. Yeah, and then we get that really poignant moment of one of the children overhearing the situation that yeah. the father's gone or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the mother asking him not to tell, which is like super rough, asking her son to keep the right. secret. Mm-hmm. You skipped over like a huge portion of the movie, though. I did? Which is what I was about to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So um, back to the forest fire, in between the forest fire and this revelation, um, Cleo goes to... Furman's home village oh yeah to tell him that she's pregnant um and so what i was saying before is that we're giving you like the plot points you know it's it's a long movie um by this point it's uh an hour and nine minutes in so it's like halfway and i started to notice i was bored 
and I didn't like I was engaged in the movie, but I thought that the pacing was slow. Like even during the forest fire part, like it was just like there. Yeah. You need the fire to show that turmoil. There was even a scene with, I thought the mother was being uh, like suffering from not suffering. I don't know. She was, she had an affair, right? Or did I, I didn't get that. There was a guy that came that was like playful with her and like touching her. And Cleo was like standing to the, Oh yeah. I think he was interested in starting something. Yeah. But then, so then I thought that, but then she pushed him away or something. Like she kind of Cleo saw it from the background and they, they noticed each other. So I I didn't know if they had a past or if it was like he wanted to. Um, I think he was making moves and she turned him away. So there's these beats and the movie's hitting him, but it's, it's going really slow. And like the, just the traveling, um, from her tr- starting the travel on the bus and walking and everything to, to find Furman, it was 10 minutes. And then it was another 10 minutes just to find him or just to actually talk to him because he was like doing this martial arts expo mm-hmm. and it felt really dragged out. So 20 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. is just her like walking. It's like yeah. the Lord of the Rings of Mexican language. I, I agree. Um, um, uh, I, I would definitely agree. Um, up until the very end, I was bored of this movie. Yeah, so oh, so boy. when she finally talks to Furman, uh, he wants nothing to do with the baby. He calls her an effing servant, and he yeah, yeah. he just runs away, pretty much. Yeah. Well, he also threatens to beat her up. Yeah, yeah. And the baby. Yeah. I, I don't mean to uh, spoil uh, one of our next parts, but um, throughout the entirety of this pregnancy, I was bored of this movie. There wasn't a whole lot happening. And I was like, something's going to happen with that baby because that's the only possible thing that could happen in well, this movie. Well, let's spoil it because, I mean, that's a plot point. we're up well, to that part. Yeah. Now. There is one cool thing that you're forgetting. Um, there's the scene where the grandmother takes Cleo shopping to buy yeah. a crib. What do you mean, yeah? That's where I thought we were. Oh, no, you said you were going to spoil something about the baby. That's that's further on. Um, and there's a, like a rebellion going on on the street. Um this is like a real revolution that happened in Mexico City. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The group is implied to be the paramil- paramilitary group Los Halcones, which is like the Hawks. So I see you reading your computer right now. Did yeah. you know this when you watched the movie? I knew that there was a revolution in Mexico City, but I didn't know the name because of the group. I, when this was happening, when the riot starts out, um, I was thinking that I don't know enough about Mexican history to understand what's going on or mm-hmm. the significance of it mm-hmm. or any of the references. Or if it was, I'm sure it was real because it takes place in like, they made it specifically 1970 into 1971 yeah. in Mexico City. So I'm sure it was real, but I, and it was very visually like. Well, I think the only thing that you need to really grasp intense. from it is that, <clears throat> that, that sort of martial arts group that Furman is a part of right. is a recruiting ground. And that this group was not really the ones who were protesting the government. They were actually sort of like the government thugs. Yeah, because because at first I they were that attacking it was the protesters. Exactly. Yeah, they were. So in the context of the movie, I I picked it up as it was laid down. But going into it, I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't mm. know if I was missing out on some of it. I don't think you need to. I think it's pretty clear that he's sort of like part of a fascist group that's. Mm. Trying to right. see that, and, yeah. and they're armed and they're just shooting people and rioting and he pulls a gun on yeah Leo. he runs into the furniture store chases someone in there and points a gun at cleo and like when this happens her water breaks yes and then it's them trying to navigate through a riot and it's classic it's, it's like uh, a children of men scene when they go outside there's that lady that's just holding the dead oh, body, the dead body. Crying. yeah there's 
just chaos everywhere. Yeah. A lot of like good one, visual imagery. One long camera shot. Yeah. yeah, it was it was great. I love that. Yeah. And then we get to the hospital and she starts um, delivering the baby. Then after the baby is delivered, I don't know if I'm missing anything. No. Nope. Um, well, the father of the family comes and visits her in the hospital. Oh, yes, that's and right. She's he like was there about to go into labor, but well. he makes some like awkward excuse like, oh, I'm not the doctor in charge now. And he like yeah. leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she delivers a dead baby. Stillborn. Which stillborn. they showed graphically. Yeah. But even before it's seen on the screen, which is just shocking because usually you don't see that in movies. Yeah. There's no crying. And that yeah. was the eerie part. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was almost silent. Mm-hmm. And like Alfonso Cuaron just has a boner for war births. For what? War births. Just babies being born in the midst of chaos. <laughs> really? Yeah. What are children the other of men? I, I never saw children of men. You've never... Oh. I'm making all these references and you're just <laughs> that's why there. i'm staring at you blankly <laughs> well we're gonna have to talk you into it oh we'll see yeah that's the entire point of the movie so let's let's wrap this up after the birth she's obviously in a, some sort of mourning she's withdrawn yeah. she's at home Very recovering upset. yeah and the mother of the family convinces her to go with them on a little vacation to the beach as to me i took it as more as a guest and less as a right, servant exactly yeah which is yeah. sort of a big step because at this relationship. point at yeah. this point the mother says like she's gonna go back to school she needs to get a job yep to support the family and she's treating cleo better and this is the part where i found out her name was cleo and i wrote down who the f is marita then <laughs> i don't know because while we were talking i looked back and the other maid's name is not that either <laughs> i don't know it's where adela <laughs> i had subtitles on i mean it, it could I, be the grandmother or something i don't know i saw the name i thought it was her yeah, I, I think the the mother in this movie has like the biggest character arc. She kind of goes from, um, I mean, she was always kind of nice to Cleo, but she was mean at sometimes too. Like, of course, the both the maids said that they couldn't take the or turn the light on in the other car in the other house as well too. So it's to, kind of implied that she's kind of stricter than the husband was. To me, the biggest arc over this film is not so much whether she was went from like mean to nice or whatever. It's that she was Cleo was taken for granted. They she was mm-hmm. like a fixture of the house. Right. No one respected her as an individual or as an equal. And over the course of this, because of what she went through and how it mirrored the struggles of the mother, she became more part of the family. Right. They were able to individualize her and look at her as like like you said, a part of the family. So as we get to the very end of the movie, they're on a beach. Two of the four children uh, start to get taken away by the. The tide. And Cleo can't swim. Oh, no. And she saves them and brings them back to shore. Yeah. And the six of them embrace. And then she admits that she never wanted the baby to be born. Yeah. Which was a very emotional thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's that amazing moment where the whole family is embracing on the beach. And the sun shining through them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a First of all, shot. it's visually arresting. Yes. Yeah. It's emotionally arresting. It's, it's sort of the culmination of this whole film. If we look at the film as opening with two different classes, two different types of people with their own struggles, and over the course of the film, those walls are breaking down and they're coming together, then this is where it happens in a literal physical embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, little moment here that they had at a dinner while they were on vacation, the mother finally told the children that the father had left. Yes. And the reason why they were on this vacation was so he could clear his things out of the house. Mm-hmm. So after this moment on the beach where they sort of come together and affirm their love for Cleo, um, 
she reveals that she didn't want the baby to be born, which is like the most vulnerable she's ever gotten in this. You know, she's speaking a truth yeah. that she wasn't even willing to to speak to herself. Um, they return. It's the only personal thing she ever said. Basically, yeah. You mm-hmm. you see her reaction to things and how she acts to different things, but it's the first time right. she's ever said anything or how she feels. She's incredibly guarded through the whole movie, right. and it all comes pouring out. Um, then they go home, and they're sort of back into their routine, but there's a feeling that I inferred that things are going to change just based on the fact that they're reorganizing the house and the bedrooms. Did you notice that that they've yeah they basically allude to that the children at least are going to have different bedrooms mm-hmm. and possibly even the maids? I don't know. To me, it just seemed like we have a they're making a fresh start. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? You have overall thoughts of the movie? Uh, Jeff, why don't you go first? Uh, I thought that while it was dull and drawn out for a long part of the movie, um, it's still a powerful and just beautiful piece of film. Yeah, I think you have to sort of put um, your expectations of plot aside. To me, it's not a, he- a heavily plotted film. No, it's it's, not. it's a character study, and it's it's like a piece of artwork visually. But I agree with you as far as what's happening. There's not a lot happening. Jimmy, uh, yeah, I, my problem is I'm kind of a plot guy. Like the visual aspects of it is very nice. Um, I just felt the movie really boring. Um, I just wasn't feeling it. I don't know why. Mm. I, I wanted to like it a lot. I mean, I've heard that complaint. I, I got sucked in by the performances. The performance... I, I don't know, watching somebody that's guarded the entire movie and then having one like revelation moment at the end is kind of like... Well, it feels like Jimmy has a lot of opinions that may be best let out onto Mike after Dan asks us the well, question. I don't know. You're kind of hearing him now, but... <laughs> All right, so Jimmy and Jeff, did I talk you into Roma? No. I felt that one coming. Yeah, interesting. Um, Basically, all the reasons I just said, it's sometimes movies just kind of hook you, and this one just wasn't. Um, This was a movie that I really, really, really wanted to like. Uh, Visually, very pretty. it, it almost kind of felt like Alfonso Cuaron was going for a Wes Anderson look, but he wasn't as fast-paced or ni- as clean-cut as Wes Anderson. Um, where Shot Is Com- Wes Anderson usually considered fast-paced? Oh. He's got a lot of long shots. Yeah, but like transitions happening. and stuff are very quick, and okay, um, everything seemed very like composed. Um, yeah, I don't... To me it was more like painterly this film Mm. everything every image felt like it was perfectly like choreographed to look the way it looked yeah this was a a tough call for me i went back and forth on what i wanted to say um i try to be positive here so yes eventually won out because Mm -hmm. will i ever rewatch this no but (laughs) i'm glad that i did because i think that just the visual medium that it is was fantastic so and I'm glad that I experienced it. Yeah. But I for the reasons Jimmy said I won't rewatch it. So it's it's a super soft yes, but I got I gotta be true to my heart and to the talk of me and two family. Yeah, I think if the emotional stuff doesn't work for you, then the movie's gonna seem like a bit of a slag. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I was hooked in by the emotion and um the themes of class struggle. 
Uh, and another thing that we didn't really point out here is that, you know, we talked about the performance and whether you liked it or not, but um, that the the main actress, Yelitia Aparicio, this is her first She's a film. nobody. Yeah. She's just a random mm. person that signed up for it. So, yeah, I was sucked in by the end of the movie. By the time they had that beachside embrace, I was literally crying. So it was like, huh? it was working for me. I'm happy you like it, man. I wish I did. <laughs> All right. Well, Jimmy, Jeff, what are we going to talk each other into on the next episode? On the next episode, we are all going to talk each other into one album of our choosing. That's wacky. It's How's that going to work? It's a record roundtable. Oh, I pick a record. Table. Jimmy picks a record. Dan yeah. picks a record. And we all try to talk each other into it. Is this going to work? I don't know. <laughs> I <but> hope so. <laughs> the, the album I chose is called Cashmere from a rap duo called Sweatshop Boys. Do people still call that rap or is it hip hop? Uh, hip hop apotamus? The Rhinoceros? Yeah. Okay. Jimmy, what are we going to be listening to from you? Oh, you're going to be listening to the album Cool Patrol by Ninja Sex Party. Wow, that's a lot of words in a row. Yeah, mm. you're welcome, world. Dan, what about you? We are picking very different albums. <laughs> uh, I am having you listen to Live at the Cellar Door by Neil Young. So no ninjas. No. No sex. No. No parties. And no rap. Oh, okay. So why are we listening to it? It's good. <laughs> it's very good. So if you want to join in with us, listen to those three albums. They're going to be listed in the show notes. Check them out. And we'll talk about them on our Record Roundtable episode. Record Roundtable. <laughs> in the meantime, Jimmy, where can they find us online? Oh, they can find us at Talk Me Into on Twitter and tweet at me saying that uh, Rome is good. Why didn't you like it? And then uh, go on Facebook and... Uh, I don't know. Like us? Are we like a thing? On, Follow? On I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But um, and then you can, if you feel so inclined, you can Ooh. always send us an email at talkmeinto at gmail.com. Word. Yeah. Dan, where can people find you personally on the internet? Uh, me personally, if you really want to get to know me, the key to my heart. I don't know what I was about to say there, but you could find me <laughs> Great on Twitter. Setup. Yeah, I love the yeah. setup. You could find me on Twitter at Danny underscore Breakdown. You could read my film reviews and on Letterbox.com under the name Danny Breakdown. Jeff, check out my mixtape on SoundCloud.com. That's not real, but you could find me on Instagram at Large Heart on Collider. Twitter at J E F F F F F two seven. Jeff of five Fs, the number two seven. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What? I didn't even do my thing yet. <laughs> yeah. You what the hell, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, I have Twitters. I have the at son of a fitch, S-O-N-N-A-D-A-F-I-T-C-H on Twitter and Instagram. And all right, Jeff, where can people do the thing? Hey, man, this is just casual. We're just, just some cuz friends hanging out in the living room. Yeah. yeah. Thank, you for, <laughs> thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. The podcast where a group of friends what that's the that's intro not- <laughs> i haven't done this in a while guys thank you for listening to talk me into what will we talk you into next podcasting special guests on episode 25 <gasps>
Jimmy's good. like, hello there. I am the announcer. Dude, that sounds great. That's how you should hello. talk into podcasts. Well, why don't you f***ing direct me? Do it. Okay. Welcome back to Talk Me Into. Yo. Your local I'm, NPR radio station. Yeah. I'm Terry Gross. <laughs> I'm John Are we Lackey. recording? Yes, we are. Okay. okay. <clears throat> All right. I guess I'll bring us in unless Jeff wants to. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay, Jeff, do it. 